please, saints, let's turn our Bibles this afternoon to 1 Kings chapter 14. Continue on our study through the book of 1 Kings, and this afternoon we come now to the end of the story of King Jeroboam. First Kings chapter 14, we'll read from verse 1 to verse 20. This is God's holy and inspired word. And at that time Abijah the son of Jeroboam fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are, my, that you are the wife of Jeroboam. And go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what shall happen to the child. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, when she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes, that you have done evil all above all who were before you, and have gone and made yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam, as a man burns up dung until it is all gone." Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. Anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers, and scatter them beyond the Euphrates, because they have made their Asherim, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed, and she came to Terzah. And as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was twenty-two years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his place. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
In the last few weeks, we've seen how King Jeroboam's reign over Israel has gone from bad to worse. You'll remember how his reign began in rebellion against King Rehoboam in the house of Judah. And his reign then continued along the same path of rebellion by setting up those golden calves in Dan and Bethel. Being afraid that Israel would return to the house of David, he invented entirely new religion, thereby inviting Israel to to forget the Lord, to forget the temple of the Lord, and to walk in their own way. But as we've also come to see, God has not turned a, a blind eye to any of this, has he? Rather, he sent a man of God from Judah to, to bring a word of judgment against Jeroboam and against those altars that he had made. And in so doing, God was calling Jeroboam to finally humble himself before the word of the Lord, to, to confess his sins and, and to walk in the way of David. But sadly, Jeroboam only hardened his heart all the more. That's what you heard at the very end of chapter 13 last Sunday, where the narrator told us that after all these things had taken place, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but he made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. And these words loom large over our passage for this evening, because here in 1 Kings 14, God is is bringing that word to pass, isn't he? Here in chapter 14, God is, is doing what he said he was going to do, because God says what he means, and he means what he says. God has determined to, to cut off Jeroboam and to destroy the house of Jeroboam from the face of the earth. And that's where our passage begins in verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. After refusing to take heed to the Lord's repeated warnings and admonitions, the chickens have now come home to roost, so to speak. The judgment of God has now fallen upon the house of Jeroboam. And so he recognized this is a real crisis for Jeroboam, and not just a a medical crisis, but also a a political crisis. Abijah being the the crown prince, the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. And more than this being a mere medical crisis and a political crisis, this is also a, a real spiritual crisis. Because when we've come to know about Jeroboam, it's highly unlikely that he's at all ready to deal with this challenge, with this crisis. The crisis that Jeroboam now faces is, has similar parallels to that crisis which King David also faced. You may remember how after he had taken Bathsheba and killed Uriah, his son also became gravely ill unto death. And yet there was one key difference between King David and King Jeroboam. And that, of course, that when King David was confronted by the prophet Nathan, he, he responded to the word in true repentance. But when Jeroboam was confronted by the man of God from Judah, he responded in further rebellion. And so the illness of his son presents Jeroboam with yet one more opportunity to to turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. It it presents him with an opportunity to humbly confess his sins and and to plea for mercy. Rather than doing what he should do, Jeroboam does what Jeroboam always does. He tries to take matters into his own hands. He tries to to gain control over the situation. He tries to manipulate the prophet Ahijah into giving him a favorable word from the Lord. 
So here's this king with a, a magical view of the word of God. He, if only he can, can weasel a positive pronouncement from, from the prophet, God's word bearer, then everything will be okay and his son will recover. So here we have yet another episode in the life of Jeroboam that, that revolves around the word of the Lord. What we discover here is that the word of the Lord is not something that can be manipulated by the hands of men. Rather, we see here a powerful illustration that one can, can never deal with the Word of God without also dealing with the God whose Word it is. The Word of God, writes Ralph Davis, is not some extraneous object out there to squeeze to our liking, but rather it is always warm with the breath of God's own mouth. Our passage reminds us this evening that the Word of the Lord is never detached from the Lord Himself. And so as we seek to work our way through this passage, I'd like for us to take note of three things together this evening. First of all, we want to take note of the freedom of the, the, freedom of the word that reveals human handling in verses 1 through 6. And then secondly, the, how the, the rule of the word, the word over human history. And then finally, the focus of the word that reorients human hearts. On well, verses 2 through and following, we're not overly surprised by Jeroboam's tactics, are we? Rather than praying for mercy and, and trusting in the Lord, he instead tries to work the religious system. Rather than submitting to the sovereignty of the Creator, he tries to manipulate him into giving him what he wants. In verses 2 through 3, we see that Jeroboam sets out to, to fool the Lord. We read that Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what shall happen to the child. And she'll do what Jeroboam lacks the courage and integrity to do himself. We never learn this woman's name, nor does she ever speak a word in this entire passage. But rather, her role in the story is simply to serve as the woman behind whom Jeroboam foolishly tries to hide. And so these first three verses are really quite revealing because they show us a number of things about Jeroboam's spiritual state. First of all, these verses show us that Jeroboam has a guilty conscience. Rather than going to Ahijah himself, he sends his wife in disguise. And Jeroboam does this because he knows that if he goes to Ahijah, he will not have a favorable hearing. Because he knows that he has not done any of the things that Ahijah commanded him to do in chapter 11. When Ahijah said that God will give you the king, but you must walk in the way of the Lord. You must walk in the way of King David. Secondly, we see even more ironically that these verses also confirm that even Jeroboam knows that his golden calves and his made-up priests are a total sham. Although he has presented these calves and these priests as, as being true representatives of the one true God, he knows full well that they will be of no use. They have no power to save his son. Jeroboam rightly understands only God has, has the power to save. Only God has the power to, to heal his son. Yet these verses show us at the same time that there is much about God which Jeroboam does not understand. For here we see that his view of God is, is greatly diminished and distorted. Sure, he believes that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, but but he doesn't believe God is omniscient, all-knowing. Boys and girls, Jeroboam actually thinks that if he sends his wife to the prophet in disguise, then he'll be able to fool the Lord. 
Jeroboam, you see, is not really so different than many unbelievers today. As the old saying goes, there are no atheists in foxholes, are there? Before his son was sick, Jeroboam wanted absolutely nothing to do with the word of the Lord. But now that things aren't going well, now the word of the Lord is what he seeks. To quote Darrell Davis, Jeroboam wants the help of the Lord for the emergencies of life, but not the rule of the Lord for the course of life. He wants the word of God for his crisis, but not for his daily routine. He craves light on his trouble, but not upon his path. Jeroboam, you see, doesn't want to actually live with the word. He just wants to to visit the word every now and again when it seems most convenient, when it seems useful to meeting his personal needs. Yet how often don't we do almost the exact same thing? When things are are going well, we allow ourselves to, to coast along. After we've been coasting along, we find ourselves drifting away. When times are bad, we, we quickly call upon the name of the Lord. When we're, when we're anxious about something, we, we quickly run to the word of the Lord, and rightfully so. When times are good, well, then we're tempted to live for ourselves. When times are easy, we're tempted to put the word of the Lord on the shelf. You see, what our struggle really boils down to is that like Jeroboam, we too often want God as Savior, but not as Lord. We want, we want all that he has to offer us without having to, to commit ourselves to him in return. And Jeroboam's guilty conscience is, is pressing this reality upon himself, which is why he sent his wife in disguise. Deep down, he knows that, that he deserves God's judgment, that he has not done what the Lord has commanded. And so now he believes the only way he can get a favorable result is by pretending to be somebody else. Sends his wife in disguise. And our sin says, one writer, we too are prone to do the same thing. Desperate for God to accept us or to give us what we want, we too pretend to be something we are not. We disguise ourselves, concealing our wicked intentions, hoping against all hope that God will never find out. Verses 2 through 4, Jeroboam has set out to fool the Lord, but in verses 5 and following, we discover that Jeroboam is only fooling himself. Because despite the fact that Ahijah's eyes have now grown dim in his old age, Jeroboam's foolish attempt to manipulate the word of God is of no avail. We read in verse 5, the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her. Jeroboam's wife has traveled all the way to Shiloh without anyone recognizing her, but now she attempts to fool a prophet who knows the future. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. See, boys and girls, here we discover plain as day that you can never fool God. And if you think you can fool God, you're only fooling yourself. Because God knows everything, doesn't he? Matthew 10 says that God knows the number of hairs on our head. And God doesn't just know the number of hairs on our head, but the psalmist says in Psalm 44 that God also knows the secrets of our hearts. 
And so the Lord, knowing the secrets of our hearts, says in Proverbs 28, verse 13, whoever conceals transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. This is precisely what we saw in the fifth petition this morning, that God is gracious to forgive those who will come to him in humility, who will come to him in humble repentance and faith. God calls us to be honest, to hide nothing from him. But Jeroboam has refused to learn this lesson, and this will be his ultimate undoing. To quote Matthew Henry, those who think by their disguise to hide themselves from God will be wretchedly confounded when they find themselves disappointed in the day of discovery. Jeroboam has forgotten that every time you deal with the word of God, you're dealing with the God whose word it is. He's forgotten the word of God is not subject to human handling. It's not subject to human manipulation, but rather the word exposes those things for what they really are. The word of God is entirely free in that way. It can't be bound by the hands of men. It can't be manipulated by the thoughts and and devices of men. But it reveals and exposes the hidden motivations of men. That's what we see here in the word which God has given to the prophet Ahijah to declare. And so we see in the second place this evening how the finality of the word rules over human history. In verses 7 through 9, we discover the Lord's indictment against Jeroboam. And in these three verses, God is is acting as a a divine prosecutor. And in so doing, he he brings into light all that Jeroboam has been trying to, to keep in the darkness through his deceit and disguises. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel. And I tore the kingdom from from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart. You have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. In summary, Jeroboam's great offense is that he has sinned against the Lord's grace. The Lord had been good to Jeroboam, but Jeroboam refused to respond in grateful obedience. Rather, he threw God behind his back. He turned his back on God. And he paved the way for Israel to do the same. And this is at the very heart of why the Lord is so angry with Jeroboam. Many modern readers might come to a passage like this and say, why why is this such a big deal? After all, the, the gods of the nations weren't this way. They weren't so jealous like the Lord is being here. But of course, the Lord is the one true God. And of course, the Lord has every right to be angry with Jeroboam because the Lord had done what no other God had ever been said to do. The Lord had, had entered covenant with his people in this marriage-like relationship which demands exclusive loyalty. King Jeroboam had been greatly blasted. All these blessings were wasted on him because he sinned against the Lord and turned his back on him. Rather than doing what was right and good, he did that which was sinful and evil. And so he moved from the indictment in verses 7 through 9 to the sentence in verses 10 through 11. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam 
and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. And God, of course, is going to bring this word to pass in the very near future. He is going to bring the dynasty of Jeroboam to nothing. And so do we need to see this evening that this is not only the end of Jeroboam, but this, is, this prophetic word signals the end for, for every dynasty and every kingdom under heaven that, that does not submit itself to the word of the Lord. The prophet continues in verses 12 and following, saying that only Jeroboam's sixth son, sixth son will come to the grave and receive an honorable burial because in him there was found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Here it would seem as though there's a glimmering of God's grace in the midst of his judgment. He alone will, will receive a, a dignified death and burial. But the rest of Jeroboam's house will die in disgrace. And so it shall be for all who, who walked in Jeroboam's wicked ways. Read in verses 15 and 16 that the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. And he will root up Israel out of the good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their Asherim, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of, their sins of, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. The whole nation is doomed on account of her idolatry. God is going to destabilize, uproot, and scatter this people of Israel. He's going to, to give them over to the Assyrians will lay siege of their land and drag them away into exile. And so these prophetic words are going to, to hang over the next 180 years of Israel's history. These words are going to govern all that's going to follow. And so the Lord finally brings his word to pass in 2 Kings 17. Jeroboam's folly is Israel's downfall. And the writer is going to make sure that we don't forget that in the coming chapters. He's going to note again and again how the wicked kings after him were, were wicked because they walked in the way, they walked in the sin of Jeroboam. Matthew Henry writes in this passage that when God judges, he will overcome. And sinners shall either bend or break before the word of the Lord. Jeroboam chose the latter. Rather than then bend rather than allow himself to be shaped and, and molded by the word, he opted to be broken by the word, to, to face the judgment of the word. And so it is for every earthly kingdom. Every earthly kingdom ever known to man will be measured by, by the same standard, not, not by their political achievements, not by the good they were able to accomplish in their society, but every kingdom known to man will be measured by its faithfulness to the word of the Lord. Which brings us to our final consideration this evening, the focus of the word that reorients human hearts. To be sure, the Lord brings this word to pass. As soon as Jeroboam's wife crosses into the city, into the threshold, the child dies. And all Israel does bury him and they mourn over him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet, and this divine word is set into further motion with the death of Jeroboam, of which we read in verses 19 and 20. 
where the author says, on the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his place. In the coming chapters, we're going to see a number of similar concluding summaries, and they're often going to to describe things the same way. If you want to know what else Jeroboam did, how he reigned, how he ruled, you'll have to read that elsewhere. Because the focus of the word of the Lord is not on Jeroboam's political achievements, but rather the focus of the word is on Jeroboam's worship. The focus is on Jeroboam's faithfulness to the Lord, on rather the lack thereof. And so First and Kings, they don't read like a common history of man. They Common history books will detail all the, all the great things that the kings accomplished in their reign, but not, not first kings. The author is not concerned with what Jeroboam accomplished politically, but only with his faithfulness or the lack of his faithfulness to the Lord. This is the base on which God shall judge every man on the last day. This is the standard by which your life and my life will be measured, not, not on the base of the things we accomplish or the things we, we built in this world, but rather whether we were faithful to the Lord, whether we were truly sorry for our sins and truly looked to Christ for salvation and truly desired to live for him in a life of service. On that great and awesome day, God's not going to look at the works of your hands. He's not going to, to look at the things you built up and accomplished in this life. But rather, he's going to look at the sincerity of your heart. Whether you were true to him by faith in Christ. The disobedience of King Jeroboam resulted in the disobedience and destruction of his people. As went Jeroboam, so went the people to destruction. So we can give thanks to God this evening that we as Christians have been transferred out of that deadened kingdom to the kingdom of a faithful king, the Lord Jesus Christ. That because we're united to him, we not fear the, the destruction of Jeroboam's dynasty. Whereas Jesus goes, so go his people. Not to destruction, but to eternal salvation. And so may God grant us the grace to make the focus of his word, the focus of of our lives as we follow him who was true to the Lord, not only in his life and death, but also in his resurrection and ascension. We recognize that we truly follow the greatest king who ever was and whoever will be. He committed no sin, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And he says he's coming soon. And so we pray even so, come, come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you humbled again by your word, recognizing that we too often fall short of your word. We often are inclined to place your word in the shelves when life is going well, when things are going busy. Father, we pray that you would cause us to be reoriented in our hearts by the focus of the word to to prioritize things rightly, to make it our aim to be truly devoted to you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we thank you that your word exposes the hidden motivations of man. 
that exposes those manipulations and so that it summons us to bend and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for his kingship and for his kingdom, which is truly glorious, which results not in death and destruction, but in everlasting life and glorification. And so, Father, we pray that he would come soon. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.